This episode contains discussion of violence against children and is intended for mature audiences only. Please take care while listening. Previously on Murder at Ryan's Run. I find it unfathomable that you can't see your child. The idea was that if they could completely ruin his life, he would tuck tail and come back to move and come back to Alberta and give this whole thing up. I remember Bert and Rhea talking bad about him, but I don't remember anyone else talking bad about him. Said he was an enemy. They had a lot of meetings with us about John and how bad he is and no matter what we think like he's a cop now and he wants to kill Zach and he wants to kill Bert and basically if we love the coordinator then we had to do whatever we had to do to protect them. They love confrontation. Any sort of confrontation. No, we trust all praises to the Lord of Life. The power of truth is fighting. Now only move. Now only revolution. Now only giant action. Now only move. Over the 50-year history of MOVE, our research has found examples of individuals in conflict with MOVE over their children or grandchildren. But it seems that John Gilbride is the only parent that asserts his parental rights in the courts. Alberta has directed every resource available to her as the leader of MOVE to prevent her ex-husband, ex-MOVE member John, from being a father to his son, Zachary, in any way. John has spent years in family court and more than $100,000 battling for his legal right to be a father to his only son. In the spring of 2002, John is forced to file for bankruptcy and is expressing safety concerns to those close to him. Uh, I can remember a couple of times that he felt like that uh, the way he was talking and stuff was like he had a target that was on his back. But if anything ever happened to me, like I want to be cremated or something like that, and my mom's like, don't talk like that or whatever. And he was just telling her that. Maybe it was after, like, the Mario Carlos, when they had kind of cornered him in the house. John clearly said to me, you know I can get killed for this. It is Friday, September 20th, 2002. John has made three attempts to pick up Zach at Alberta's house for court-ordered weekend visitation. And each time, he's told that Zach is not there. Alberta is in violation of the Philadelphia Family Court order, but Cherry Hill Police have yet to step in and enforce it. MOVE is pressuring city officials in Philadelphia and New Jersey to overturn the family court order or risk another May 13th. Alberta, in violation of the judge orders, has taken six-year-old Zachary 20 miles out of New Jersey and is believed to be inside the now-fortified MOVE headquarters, where a giant banner hung on the outside reads, The custody case is nothing but a witch hunt, so cops can kill move babies. The Philadelphia Inquirer runs a story on Friday, September 20th, with this headline, Move says it's all about the kids. They're prepared for confrontation. Byline, Ron Goldwyn and Scott Flander. Suzanne Ross, the child psychologist from New York City, who says she has been treating Zachary Gilbride, and who testified for Alberta in family court in March 2000, is interviewed for the story, quote, move members would literally die before surrendering their children to outside forces. And she goes on to say, quote, I guarantee that the children in there are very much loved, protected, cared for, and taught values and skills. In the previous episode, you heard from former move supporter Kevin Price talking about distributing a harassing flyer in the family court judge's neighborhood. And we went door to door and just left this flyer in 
maybe 200 mailboxes in all of the houses surrounding Judge Shelley Robinu's house. This flyer, along with phone calls from MOVE members and supporters to the judge's office, prompts the Philadelphia Police Department to provide 24-hour security to the judge and her family. Back in New Jersey, John Gilbride seems to be on his own to deal with the harassment from MOVE members and MOVE supporters. This is John's dad, Jack Gilbride. He called the Cherry Hill police to come on the very last visit to the house uh, when protesters were all over the place and he couldn't even get to the door. Mm. And all they suggested was, why don't you leave town and get out of here? That's when he went to Vegas. John returns home from Vegas, going straight to work at Philadelphia International Airport. And at the suggestion of a close friend at work, doesn't return to his apartment at Ryan's Run on that Monday night, that Tuesday night, and that Wednesday night. Instead, he stays with the friend. This is Jack and Alicia Gilbride. That's another reason why how you know he was being followed. Yeah, that's another reason. He's been reason. staying at a friend's house for two or three days. After work. After yeah. work, mm-hmm. going there to just move around, you know, because he felt like he was being watched. And Where are you between September 20th and September 26th? I lived in Pensacola, and I was working for a landscaping company in Cherry Hill. 19-year-old MOVE supporter Kevin Price is living in a New Jersey MOVE house owned by Gary Wonderlin and working with MOVE supporters and MOVE members at a New Jersey landscaping company. MOVE members who worked for the company stopped working when things really started to heat up. And they probably stopped working in the beginning of September. All MOVE members were ordered to report to headquarters and go into confrontation mode, boarding up the windows, gathering supplies. So these three male MOVE members between the ages of 18 and 24, they just stopped working. And because their crew supervisor is a MOVE supporter married into MOVE and living at headquarters, he of course covers for them, saying it's a family emergency. And, you know, we kept a little profile. It's not like they worked there and told people were MOVE members. They, they said they were brothers, myself being uh, white and the other supporter being white. We said we were close friends. And so when they stopped working and it started being on the news, we were, like, outed, which was, so I remember that week being really nervous and fixated on the fact that now I had all of this explaining to do to my coworkers, my relationship with MOVE, how I got involved, what MOVE actually is, why I support cop killers, all of that stuff. And then I was also so preoccupied with, you know, what I thought could be a potential confrontation. I just remember that week being very, very stressful. MOVE supporters were not allowed inside MOVE headquarters at this time. But Kevin says they were definitely given activities. But like, as things were heating up with what I thought was going to be a potential confrontation, I was sleeping, you know, a few blocks away from the King Sessing house, like taking maybe a few hour shift before getting some sleep, either flyering or driving around the neighborhood, you know, to see what was going on. He tells me that was patrolling the neighborhood around MOVE headquarters. Kevin says they were looking for any sort of sign of a threat or cops. But from all accounts from my sources, there were no cops to be seen. I can't imagine having to act on any warrants on anything dealing with the MOVE organization if I was a police officer. This is former MOVE supporter Lori Allen. They don't act like normal people. And the last time there was a confrontation before John Gilbride, the police made a huge mistake. They dropped a bomb on that house. Traumatic effect. That had not just on the city, but on really a police force that wasn't trained to how do you deal with somebody like MOVE. 
Josh Africa is just 10 years old and told to stay inside, behind the slatted windows. Everything was boarded up and everybody was in the house. There was a lot of people in there. It was really dark because the slats took up all the sunlight. And at nighttime, everything is quiet. You start realizing, you know, how scary it actually is. I was told if uh, we don't do our work and move along and stay alert that the cops would come in and they would kill us and they would take that. They told you that if you guys didn't do your move work, you guys would die in that house? Yes. So while Josh and other smaller children are behind the slatted windows, either playing or sleeping, 13-year-old Pixie Africa, the youngest daughter of prominent move member Pam Africa, along with the older children and adults, are on high alert. We would have watch four hour watches or something where there was different stations around the two houses. Move headquarters consists of two three-story Victorian houses that are connected. There was always someone on the front porch of Rhea's house because that's where Bert and Zach were. Like at night, there was someone on the back roof of that same house on the second floor. Of it. So we would have to sit outside of there. Some of the men would get up on this catwalk, pretty like, big divot for them to like crouch down in, and they would have guns. And wait, wait, everyone would keep the watch. The people, the people you said they were up on the catwalk. The men you said they had guns. Yes, they would talk about how they would be up on the catwalk and they would have guns with them. Porters have always told me they never saw any guns around Move. They're hidden, but they definitely always had them. The two previous times that Move has put slats on the windows of their headquarters and gone into confrontation mode with police was 1978 and 1985. And both times, Move members were on patrol or watch with guns. At this time, all of the Move 9 members are still incarcerated for the 1978 murder of Philadelphia police officer James Ram. Two of those Move 9 prisoners are Debbie Africa and Mike Africa Sr., the parents of 26-year-old Whit Africa and 24-year-old Mike Africa Jr., both Move members who have gone into the same confrontation mode with their own children, just like their parents did in 1978. My father called, and he was in a panic. This is Whit Africa. Y'all need to get out of that house. He said history got a way of repeating itself. Did your father think that you had a choice? I don't know. As far as I know, of, we were supposed to be in a confrontation, so nobody was allowed to leave. While Wit is contemplating the safety of herself and her four kids, 13-year-old Pixie catches Alberta making her own plans. And it was going to be Rhea, Bert, Zach, and Carlos. They were going somewhere, but they were saying they had to go because dangerous and the cops could come in at any minute. She dressed back up in a dress that was Maria's, I believe. They were leaving all of us behind. And I remember asking them, but what about us? Did the cops come in? What about us? It seems pretty clear that basically the cops come in and we were supposed to go out fighting, like die fighting. Die fighting. Yes. And they were supposed to get away. John had feared something like this and had officially requested the family court be in possession of Zachary's passport. They tried to leave twice. It didn't work out. I don't know what happened, but I just remember them being really mad. At one point, we weren't allowed to say his name. We had to call him Peter. Pixie says the failed escape attempts only escalate the tension and paranoia inside MOVE headquarters. We were all fucking terrified because if the cops came in, that meant that we had got we were cycling. Some people were like all for it. But a lot of us were scared. Pixie has just turned 13 and is five months pregnant, 
by an 18-year-old who was born into move that she says she was forced to be matched with or get thrown out. I was pregnant. My sister Rose was pregnant. And Tiffany was pregnant as well. And I remember talking to Tiffany and just being like, I may not get to meet my baby. I didn't want to get pregnant in the first place. Once the baby was in me, it's my baby. I wanted to get to meet my baby. Move members, move supporters, the police, and the entire city of Philadelphia are hyper aware that the history of move includes the complete destruction of 60 Black-owned homes and a body count of 12. One police officer shot dead in 1978, and 11 people who were in MOVE, including the leader and five children, who end up dying in the fire, started after the satchel of explosives, were dropped on the roof of MOVE on May 13th, 1985. Burke said multiple times to multiple people that if it comes down to it, she herself would shoot back in the head and then shoot herself in the head. She would take her own child's life in order to prevent him from being outside of MOVE. Pixie Africa and others have been told by Bert and Rhea that the two confrontations in MOVE had been activities. They had been strategized by John Africa, the coordinator of MOVE. Being in the house on August 8th was an activity. The prisoners going to prison was an activity. Being in the house on May 13th was an activity. That activity had to be like done because the coordinator was like trying to like fix something that someone else had done, like messed up. Confrontation mode is an activity that could have a tragic ending, like 78 or 85. Pixie is trying to keep those fateful thoughts out of her mind by helping out with Zach like she usually does. I had Zach with me next door, and he wanted something. And I went over into Rhea's house, which Bert thought that no one was really like coming over there or whatever. And as soon as I opened the door to the middle room there, I could see her standing there with a gun that had a long thing like in the front she turned around really fast and hit it and told me to get the fuck out like she screamed at the top of her house get the fuck out of here and i was just sitting there like oh my god what the fuck pixie is scared she runs out of the room and upstairs then she called me back down her and ria just them two in ria's back room Basically, Bert started talking to me about how my mom doesn't love me, my dad doesn't love me, my sister doesn't love me, and I have a lot of mental problems. And because my dad, he has problems, my mom has problems, them crazy. And because of all of these problems that I have, that makes me see stuff like this. Pixie is known for being quite sharp and quick, even at just 13 years old. So she responds, Well, if I didn't see what I saw, then why did you call me down here to tell me about something I did not see that didn't happen? And she got really pissed at me. How I'm so arrogant. How I'm going to have so much trouble with my baby. I don't trust the coordinator. And she's giving me move law. I hate John Africa. To hate him meant to doom yourself. As a seasoned cult leader, Alberta knows that Pixie is not buying her manipulation tactics. Rhea, wait, this girl is too smart. And they go on to tell me that the reason they have the gun is to protect everyone in the house. But then she tells me that she needed to do something that was really important. And the way to protect him is to keep him from getting in the hands of the system. Alberta tells Pixie that if the cops come in to get Zach, she has to take him to the basement. And if I was to hear a lot of gunshots, hear like everyone in the house was being killed, then I was to then snap Zach's neck. 13-year-old pregnant Pixie is being told to snap the neck of 6-year-old Zach Gilbride. Grabbed him tight and 
to hold his neck and pull it really hard. I said I couldn't do that. And then Bert went on to tell me how like I was thinking about it like a system person and I was thinking about it as like killing back and it's not killing back, it's helping him and it's saving him from the system and it's cycling him. It was cycling and not killing and it was protecting him and that was the only way to protect him. And if I loved him, that's what I would do. I just kept saying, I, I can't do that. I'm not doing that. I cannot do that. And then she went on to tell me that if I didn't want to snap his neck because that could be hard, I could just smother him. I'm not doing that either. Move members, and especially children born into Move, have it drilled into them to never question Move law or Move leadership. They told me that people that go against this organization and talk bad about the organization, it doesn't end well for them. Rhea did come out and tell me that if I went and said anything, then I would be killed. So wait a sec. Rhea said, if you said anything about what they said, she said what? They would have someone cycle my ass, is what she said. Rhea threatened to kill you? Yes. I was 13. And that was the first of many times. And I believed them. Based on what they had just asked me to do to their son, I believed them. And I kept my mouth shut. Pixie says that other MOVE members were given the same activity by Alberta of killing Zach instead of letting him get into the hands of the system, and that some MOVE members agree to do it. They would make sure they cycled Zach and the dogs and the other women and children, and then they would go out fighting. Like, they had guns and they were willing to do it. For the next 18 years, Pixie will keep her mouth shut. She will be controlled, threatened, intimidated. She will attempt to take her own life by ingesting pills and then realize she would be leaving her five children and move. So she forces her hand down her throat and she lives for her children. I recorded this interview three months before Pixie's escape. It was part of her plan to get it all on the record. Once they find out like how much I've been talking, find me and kill me. And they've told me that to my face over and over again because it is a the highest violation to leave and take moves children. And it is also the highest violation to move, to leave and talk that is punishable by being cycled, which is being killed. Coming up on Murder at Ryan's Run. Were you at the meeting on September 26th? Um, it was a meeting of supporters, but no move yes, leadership? Yes, I was. That's right, because we were all wondering, that's right. I forgot all about that. We were all concerned about our own alibis at that point because we were in New Jersey. If you have any information about the murder of John Gilbride or the allegations of abuse and move, please email us, run at gmail.com. You can also send us questions or comments via email or on our social media. We would love to hear from you. Speaking of, if you have yet to reach out or you have been dodging our calls... Don't forget, we have an open door policy and would love to hear from you. Be sure to follow, rate, and review the podcast so that more people can learn about the podcast series. Because just maybe, the next listener is the one who could bring justice for John Gilbride's family. Thanks for listening. The producers wish to stress that all individuals referenced in this podcast series are presumed innocent unless or until they are proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law in the United States of America.